0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Grace and peace to all of you on this uh, 13th Sunday after Pentecost, and another tumultuous week it certainly was. God be thanked and praised that we can remember that all things are in God's hands. All things are in God's hands. In fact, even evil is in His hands. And he promises to use it for his own designs, for his own good purposes, for the good of those who love him. We ought to count ourselves blessed to live in a time of such stark and obvious evil. How so? Well, in the first place, we can see evil for what it is, and we can see it ever more clearly, and we can separate ourselves from it. But also, we may reflect more deeply on it. When we see in the evils of others, we may also look upon them as if in a mirror and see the same root of sin within ourselves. Who isn't angered by the deceit of our politicians, by the lies in Washington, by the corruption. And even as we see this and name it for what it is and back away from it, we must also reflect on that which lies within our own hearts. All men are liars, the scriptures say, and that certainly includes us. So too, we might consider the utter hypocrisy of our professional athletes, the lewdness of the LGBT movement, the hatred and violence of the rioters. We might even be angered by our government saying that Christ and his church are non-essential. Yet, of course, we must reflect with great pain in our hearts At times in our past, perhaps even in our present, where our actions have shown that we don't hold church to be essential either. And so too with the rest. Hatred, lewdness, and hypocrisy. We don't have to dig very deeply to see the sins in others at home in our own hearts as well. God blesses us with this so that we might come to him repenting of our sins and draw nearer to him than ever before and come with true joy and desire in our hearts to his table to receive the body and blood of Jesus for our forgiveness, to be united with him rather than the evil one. God disciplines those whom he loves, so we should all be anticipating discipline. In fact, the harshest words that Jesus ever spoke weren't spoken to the tax collectors or the prostitutes. Nor, on the other hand, were they spoken to the scribes or Pharisees. Nor even to Judas, who betrayed him into death. The harshest words that Jesus ever spoke, he spoke to his beloved disciple, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. He said, you are a hindrance to me, for you have in mind not the things of God, but the things of man. I've titled this sermon, this homily, The Things of God. Whatever it was that Peter had in his mind that the Christ was supposed to do, one thing is clear. He didn't have in mind the things of God. He had in mind the things of man, a a kind of Christ and Messiah that man would choose. Instead, as we see from our Lord's words, the Messiah of the scriptures is the Messiah of the cross, God will not settle for the things of man. He will not settle for political solutions or superficial fixes. The things of God are deeper. He addresses the greatest of all our evils, sin, death, and slavery to the devil. The things of God are not superficial in nature. The things of God is precisely his cross. The things of God is not so much the trouble in our neighbor, but the trouble in your heart and mine as we approach our God. Now, Jesus' harsh words spoken to Peter come right on the heels of his great confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So Jesus then goes on to explain what it is that the Christ is to do and to be about. He began from that moment to tell them that his, to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. He must die and on the third day be raised again. Now, Peter, of course, doesn't want this kind of Messiah, doesn't envision this kind of Messiah, so he takes him aside and rebukes the Lord. Can you imagine that? Come here, Jesus. I've got to rebuke you on this one. And yet, don't we do this all the time? We don't believe that things are in his hands. We don't believe that he's got it under control. In our hearts, in our minds, even in our prayers, we quite frequently rebuke the Lord. Thanks be to God, even though he's stern and rightfully so, he is merciful to Peter and to us. So Peter rebukes him, saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. The cross is not in your future. To which Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. That word hindrance is the word scandalon, a a stumbling block. A scandalon is if you have pavers in your patio and one pops up like this, and you trip over it and fall. That's a scandalon. So there's this beautiful wordplay because Jesus has declared Peter to be the rock rock And yeah, now he's the rock upon which I might stumble. You are a hindrance, a stumbling block to me. You have in mind not the things of God, but the things of man. In other words, Jesus says to him, not only am I going to the cross, but you're going there too, if you're my disciple." Indeed, that's the very next thing he says, not to Peter only, but to all his disciples. He says, you must, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So if the things of man are the things of of Peter's mind and our mind, the political fixes, the superficial treatments of what's evil, what then are the things of God? Well, from this angle and vantage point, we see the cross, and we see the twofold nature of the cross, that in the first place, sin and death and the devil must be undone by Christ, the true Messiah, going to the cross. Only in becoming sin for us can he put sin away forever. Only by dying to death can he be the death of death and put death away forever, Only by being perfectly obedient to the Father can he break the chains of our slavery to Satan. Now, the other side of the coin is that the cross isn't merely for our forgiveness. The cross is also the very essence and pattern of our lives as his disciples. The things of God, the cross for us and the cross in us, One of the beautiful, beautiful words that Jesus uses, I think in the ESV, it's must. The Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. In the Greek, it's just this little, tiny, all-important word, day. It is necessary. It is necessary. And for this reason, we have the cross front and center, And the cross over here, the crucifix and the cross always front and center to remind us that it is necessary. Apart from the cross, there is no forgiveness. There is no rescue from death of the devil. But so too, apart from the cross, there is no purpose, no meaning, no shape given to our lives as his disciples. So the cross is everything. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, let him deny himself and take up his cross. It is amazing, of course, that Jesus predicts with perfect accuracy that he will die on a cross. But even deeper than this, we must see that we ourselves, we ourselves are our greatest hindrance our own worst enemies. That's why Jesus says, deny yourself. What does it look like to deny yourself? Well, paradoxically, to deny oneself is to not live a self-centered life, but rather to conform oneself to Christ. And in conforming oneself to Christ, we are set free. To die to oneself is to truly live, while to live for oneself is to truly be dead. We can think about these in these big picture terms, but we can also make it very concrete. I'll take two examples, marriage and being single. What does it look like for a husband to deny himself? Well, what is it that the world tells us a husband should do? Have we not heard for the last decades that a husband is basically a glorified child in the home, that he has no leadership role whatsoever, that a happy wife makes for a happy life so he had better get in step. And so then, what do males do? Become exactly that. What then does it mean for a man, a husband, to deny himself? It means specifically to deny that role and to conform himself to the biblical role where he is to be the leader as Christ is leader over the church, the lover of his wife and family as Christ is the lover of of his church. So the man needs to, in order to deny himself, put down the TV remote, put down the Xbox controller, put down his cell phone, and lead govern his family in the way of godliness. Now, what does it look like, on the other hand, for the wife? Well, what does culture tell us? Culture tells us that what's most important is that the woman be a strong and uncompromising woman, that she rule her house, and she take no guff from anyone, down with the patriarchy, and if her husband dares to embody that patriarchy, down with him too. So what does it mean then for us to deny ourselves in this context, in this culture? Precisely what the scriptures say over and over and over again. The wife denies herself by being submissive to the husband and even obedient to him. That's what it looks like. Now what about for singles? What does the world tell us for singles? The world tells us, well... As long as you're intimate with one person at a time, that's okay. Why not fornicate all you like? That's okay. Why not just make the internet into your girlfriend or boyfriend? That's okay. So what does it mean for a single person to deny himself or herself? Well, the scriptures are very plain on this point. If you're single, then you either have the supernatural gift of celibacy or you don't. If you have the supernatural gift of celibacy, then you ought to give yourself in service to the church. If you don't, you ought to pursue marriage. That's what it means in our culture, in our context, to deny yourself. Okay, so I've hit marriage, I've hit husband, wife, and single people. That should be enough to offend everyone so we can move on. (laughs) To deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow Jesus is precisely as I've described, and it goes out into all of our vocations. After all, the denial of self and the taking up of a cross is painful. And just as our Lord takes up his cross as an offering to God and for our sake, so we bear our crosses as an offering to God and for the sake of those around us. To die to ourselves is paradoxically to truly live. Where when we try to live for ourselves and our desires, we're actually dead. As Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? Or What will a man give in return for his soul? So what we need, if we have ears to hear Jesus' words, is to focus not on the things of man, not on our own desires and passions and wants, but to focus on those things of God. And as we do, we will see our perception of life, indeed the shape and form of life itself, will change and become new. Now, to drive home this point, Jesus mentions two things. One, not at all subtle, and the other quite subtle not at all subtle the judgment he says for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father and then he will repay each person according to what he has done very plainly how you live and what you do matters it's true enough that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but it is also true that denying yourself and taking up your cross matters. He will repay each person according to what he has done. There's the not at all subtle. What is the subtle then? Jesus refers to seeing the Son of Man coming. Now, Peter doesn't see What he sees to be the Messiah isn't the Messiah at all. The disciples don't yet see, but they are going to be given to see. And we would ask our Lord for those eyes as well. Jesus says, Amen, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. And what are those eyes that see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, coming in his reign? But those eyes which look to Christ the crucified and there see the King reigning, crowned in thorns. And when we take up our crosses, denying ourselves, we also reign with him. We see who he is and thus we also see who we are. What are the things of God? It's the cross for the forgiveness of all your sins, and it's the cross as the shape and essence of your life. All things are in God's hands. God be thanked and praised for that. And those hands have been pierced with the nails for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.